I'll release the children through grade four to the classes that are ready for them. Even as we look at John chapter three today, there are lots of places we could go to to talk about the love of God and what that means as far as the love of God uh, being displayed in our lives and the love of God being displayed through our lives. But there's one verse in scripture that really probably everybody knows and and it's interesting because a lot of times when people try to quote this verse, it ends up to be an amalgamation of several uh, translations because we've memorized it in two or three different translations or we've heard it. And, but the thing is, is even as we blend it together, it still comes with so much power. And so today, let's take a look at this encounter Um, that Nicodemus had with Jesus, and in so doing, be able to see what it means that love has been extended. Love extended. And um, the big thing we'll see in this passage is that God so loved the world that he gave. It's really as simple as that. God so loved the world that he gave. So let's read together. I'll read John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and you truly do not understand these things? Truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how then can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. Light has come into the world. And the people loved darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light 
lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes into the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. If you're like me, this is a chapter of scripture that you've probably read many times and pondered over and thought about as this man Nicodemus comes to see Jesus at night. He's a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jewish people. And so as such, they're, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin is really trying to come to grips with who this Jesus is. The context tells us that Jesus has come from Capernaum, from Galilee, and he's made his way up to Jerusalem. And as he's made his way up to Jerusalem, it's because it's the Passover. So he's here for the Passover festival. And you may remember that when he came into the temple, he started turning tables over, right? And, and he, he, rid, he rid the temple of the money changers. And so as, as they start to try to figure out who this Jesus is, some of them are really struggling with this. But apparently there was one Pharisee named Nicodemus who really, really wanted to know what was going on. So he comes to Jesus at night because that would have been safer. And he approaches him and he says, Rabbi, he calls him teacher. And he says something remarkable. He says, we know that that you are a teacher come from God because of the miraculous signs that you do. And I don't think he could be quite ready for the conversation he was going to have with this amazing Savior. Can you imagine being on the rooftop? More than likely, they were up on a roof. And, and it was more than likely an appointment that Nicodemus had made with Jesus. And he met Jesus up on the rooftop and began to talk to him. And basically the question is, who are you? Who are you? And Jesus immediately gives him the exact answer he's looking for. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Now clearly that's what he just asked, right? You know, who are you? Well, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Now, this is a verse that for a lot of people has caused, ooh, what does that all mean? Remember, Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God to earth. In Mark, very first chapter, he says, the gospel, believe in the gospel, the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom has come to earth in the person of Jesus. He has brought heaven down, if you will. He has come and, and brought his kingdom, the kingdom of light to earth. And so as people are drawn to him and saying, you come from God, we, Nicodemus, you, you come from God. <laughs> Jesus says, yeah, I, I do, as a matter of fact, I am God. And I've come to bring his kingdom, but you cannot enter that kingdom unless you're born again. Well, for Nicodemus, that's like, okay. Now, we have the advantage of looking back and understanding what Jesus is going to tell Nicodemus, but imagine you sit with Jesus and say, and he says you need to be born again, and you have no concept for that. Now, for Nicodemus, one of the things he may have thought about is, is at that point in time when 
a Gentile wanted to convert to Judaism, they would consider that a type of rebirth. So that might have been part of what he was thinking about. But his question reveals he was stumped. How does that happen? How do we, how do I go back inside my mother, right? And how do we get born again? And Jesus says, listen, unless you're born in the water and the spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of God. Because what is flesh is flesh, but what is spirit is spirit. There needs to be a spiritual birth, not just a physical birth. So when you are when you are born, you're born with a spirit that's dead, and it needs to be born again. And Nicodemus says, oh, what does this mean? And Jesus says, listen, I can imagine. Listen, what do you hear? <laughs> Nicodemus says, the wind. Jesus says, the wind, nobody knows where it comes from and nobody knows where it goes. It's just like that for the people who are born of the Spirit. So you can feel the wind. And when you're reborn, when you come to that place in your life where you turn to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I, I, I long for you to be my Savior. God, forgive me. And the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. Your life changes. Can I get a witness? And you feel the Spirit. And do you know where he came from? Well, yes, sort of, right? Do you know where he's going? Well, yes, sort of. But I'm just being moved along. And you see, there's this spiritual birth that happens. And, and Nicodemus says, how does this happen? How can this be? And Jesus says, you're, you're a teacher of Israel, and you don't understand these things. And, and, and how can you teach those who are trying to learn? He says, I talk to you about things that I've seen. I've come from heaven, and you can trust what I'm saying, but I'm speaking to you of earthly things, and you don't understand. How can you speak of heavenly things? Now, we're not told at this point in time what Nicodemus' response was. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I, when I get wrapped up in the narratives of Scripture and I begin to use my biblical imagination and I, and I try to put some, some things inside the text as I, as I seek the Lord for what's really going on, and, and, and part of me wants to know, did Nicodemus pray the prayer? Right, you know, I mean, did... <laughs> You know, did he believe? Did he, what, what, what? John 7, it tells us that he was standing in the, uh, he was standing with some others in, in the Sanhedrin and he stood up for Jesus. John 19 tells us that along with Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus is the one who took Christ off the cross and wrapped him. Both things that would require great risk and both showing that he came out as a disciple of Jesus. The first thing we see in all of this is that God's love is generous. God's love is generous. I can imagine the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus was one that was, 
was held back and forth. And we're not given all the words of the conversation, obviously, but I could see where, where Jesus and Nicodemus were having a conversation. As Nicodemus asks the question, Jesus tells him what's going on. And in the midst, he says, God's love is generous. And where we see that is here. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So this would have made it absolutely clear for Nicodemus. For us, it's a little bit of a stretch. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Now this is a very interesting account in Israel's history. Israel had been rescued by God, brought out of Egypt. They had been put into captivity, into slavery, and they had been working 24-7 without reprieve. Their kids were being killed and all sorts of things they were experiencing. And, and they cried out to God, and God sent Moses. And through the plagues and other things, Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt toward the promised land. And they refused to go into the promised land, and then they began the wandering. And in that wandering, something happened. Numbers chapter 21. From Mount Hor, and I'm in verse 4 of Numbers 21. They set out by way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food, no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. We have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he will take the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. So here's the picture. The nation of Israel, as many as too many people, two million people, are wandering in the wilderness and God is providing for them food and water. And he's providing them manna. And the people begin to grumble and complain. And they grumble and complain. And what's interesting is they loathe the food that God had given them. They loathed the bread that God had given them. Now, as we look at the generosity of God in this, we can see the generosity is explained in, in, in God providing the serpent on the brass pole. Now, this is the most curious account in Scripture, that, that God would, would have this happen, that he would put up a, an image on a pole and have people look at it. There's several things in this account that are interesting. One is that the judgment was immediate. Okay, it, the judgment was immediate. As soon as they began to loathe the food, judgment came. Now that doesn't happen all the time. Sometimes the judgment that we earn is put off and doesn't happen immediately. Think of Ananias and Sapphira when the judgment came immediately. But we also see the provision of God in the serpent, the, 
pole that was lifted up. Now Israel would twist that and, and of course Hezekiah would have to destroy that bronze pole when he became king because of what had happened with it. But, but as they lifted it up, if they looked, they would be saved. Physically, they would be saved. Because it would be a look of repentance, a look of, of looking for forgiveness. So the provision is there in the salvation, but the provision was there in the bread as well. Psalm 78.25 tells us that the people of Israel ate the bread of heaven. The bread of angels, actually, is what it says. They ate the bread of angels. Can you imagine having, having God give you some of the bread of angels, and you go, not liking this at all. As a matter of fact, I hate it. I'm so sick of eating it. I'm tired of you giving it to me. Right? Can you imagine doing that? I wonder, as I've pondered that this week, how many things have God brought into my life and I loathe it. And I say, ah, good thing there's no poison snakes in Wims Bay, right? Jesus says, just as the Son of Man must be lifted, or just as the serpent was lifted up, so also must the Son of Man be lifted up. He's talking to Nicodemus about the cross. Just as men had rejected and loathed the bread of angels, loathed the food that God provided, so also Jesus would be lifted up on a cross because people loathed him and hated him. He was despised and rejected. In John chapter 6, Jesus says something most fascinating. John chapter 6 and verse 32, Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. Jesus is the bread that's provided for God. Just as we need to be born of the flesh, we need to be born of the Spirit. And Jesus is the bread come from heaven, the bread of heaven that has come down, the bread of God that has come down to make spiritual rebirth possible. As we eat his body and drink his blood, which is a teaching there that gets all turned around, but it's basically saying, as I, as I respond positively to the gift, the generous gift that God has sent, the gift of his son, his son took on flesh and in so doing became the bread of eternal life, the bread that would bring spiritual life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In the original language as we look at this, what it, what it, what it says that maybe helps us get a, a better handle on that, those who believe may in him 
have the life of the age to come. Those who believe may in Christ have the life of the age to come. See, eternal life is life of the age to come. How generous is that? How amazingly generous that God should step into our world and into the darkness, into the defiled world which we create and which we live in and which we fuel, that he would step into this weary world and he would bring life. And he would bring life of the age to come. Now listen, we don't get that fully here, right? We, we get it in part. We get the Holy Spirit indwelling us. And we get it in part, but we don't get it fully because there's a moment in time when Jesus will come back and take us to be where he is, amen? And in that moment in time, we will experience the fullness of life of the age to come, the kingdom of God, as he comes to make his dwelling among us. God so loved the world that he gave. God's love is generous. The next thing we see is that God's love saves. God's love saves. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. So God's love is generous, and God's love saves. And here's the deal. He tells Nicodemus, I didn't come to condemn the world. See, the, the understanding of the time was that the Messiah would come and would overthrow Rome and would fix everything that's gone bad in this world. And, and Jesus says, I didn't come to condemn the world. And do you know why he didn't come to condemn the world? Because the world's condemned already. All right, this world is already condemned. We've condemned it. Sin has condemned it. Satan's presence has condemned it. So he didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save people out of a condemned world. And as you think about that, you realize that Jesus came to solve the biggest problem we have. And the biggest problem we have is sin. See, Jesus did not come to put an end to COVID immediately. He did not come to make sure we get the right people in office. He didn't come to overflow the Ro uh, overthrow the Roman government. He didn't come to bring peace on earth. That's coming in his second advent, the one that we're anticipating. But when he came, he came with a greater purpose than any of that. He came with the purpose of saving people from sin, from saving people from an eternity separated from his love, to save people from eternal conscious torment. See, apart from Jesus, our only hope is to spend eternity removed from the love of God, removed from God constantly, and, and never repenting. See, those who die apart from Christ never repent. They live their entire existence forever against God. And yet, the love of God comes to the world to bring the possibility of salvation. See, the mission of Jesus 
is the consequence of the generous love of God. The mission of Jesus is the consequence of the generous love of God. Only Jesus coming and taking on flesh and dying on the cross could pay the price that was needed for the reconciliation to save so that we could be born again, so that we could be born of the Spirit, so that we could have new life. It's God's love that saves. So God so loved the world he gave. His love is generous. His love saves. And finally, his love empowers. His love empowers. And I love this. This is so amazing. This is the judgment, Jesus says. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. See, there it is right there. Light has come into the world. John chapter 1, it says, In him, Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. See, light has come into the world. There's another Christmas song we sing that says, Hallelujah, light has come. And so light has come into this world. And because of that, it's made it possible for us to step out of darkness. But the truth is that, that we love darkness rather than light because our deeds are evil. The flesh that we carry around, the stupid flesh, desires evil instead of that which is good. And, and so as we look at this, he says, this is the judgment, light has come into the world. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes into the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God, in God. So how does this play out in our lives practically? God's love empowers us. See, we naturally choose the darkness, right? Anybody have a sin they struggle with? Okay. Um, and, and, and you didn't raise your hand because you like it to be in the darkness, right? See, I smoked for 25 years. I, I quit on October 4th, 1998, amen. For five of those years, I was a closet smoker. Do you know what a closet smoker is? Stupid. <laughs> a closet smoker convinces himself that he can, he can suck on a burning stick full of stuff and it doesn't change the way he smells. Right? And then, you know, he pops in a stick of gum, puts on a whole bunch of aftershave, goes and kisses his wife, and she's like, no, thank you, don't need the ashtray. You know, and... And, and see, so... I love the darkness. And so I believed that I could hide that. And I believed as long as I stayed in the darkness of the, the closet smoking realm that, that I could come to church, put on my coat, my white shirt, my nice tie, and I'm good. Because when I'm in the light, I can look good. But I need to get in the darkness to hold on to that sin. See, Jesus... The love of God displayed in Jesus and brought into your life and the person and power of the Holy Spirit empowers you. It empowers you to live the life that God has designed for you to live and it allows you to walk into the light. It allows you to come and expose yourself. It allows you to step out in humility instead of pridefully hiding things. 
Ephesians 5.18 says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. It's this idea that instead of allowing myself to be controlled by nicotine that constantly had my life, I asked, God, please let me be controlled by your Spirit instead. And see, that's a prayer that God will answer. What is it that has you trapped in darkness? What is that sin that you have? Is there a relationship that's strained that you're not working to fix? Is there, is there someone you gossip against? Is there, you know, is there, is there an addiction you have? Do you linger on sites on the web that you shouldn't be? Are you throwing yourself into romance novels? Are you, what, you know, are you talking bad about people at work? Are you stealing? And what are you doing that is, is, is in the darkness? And how do you use the power of God in your life to allow you to step into the light? Jesus said to Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes may in him have life of the age to come. You can begin to live the life of the age to come right now as you give yourself to the Spirit. Because the Spirit of God, you see, the light has come into the world. And the light has come into the world as the light has been placed in each one of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and who follow him. Romans 5 says that he has poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The love of God has been poured into our hearts so that we can take down the walls of selfishness and we can step into the walls of selflessness that are brought about by the Holy Spirit in in the fruit of self-control and we can allow the love of God which loves beyond anything we can begin to understand and we can allow that love to flow through us and flow into the lives of others so that all may see that God so loves the world he gave his only son that we could live differently, not in bondage, but in freedom. So what? How does living in the light of God's love cause me to desire to make him known this week? How can living in the light of God's love, living in the light God, help us with that, would you please? Oh, man, you know the way we, we love darkness. It's in that flesh of ours, and, and God, we need you. We can't do this apart from you, and you don't expect us to. The truth of the love of God is that you are generous, and you are constantly pouring your love into our lives. You are constantly pouring the Holy Spirit into our lives. You are constantly pouring your light and your love into our lives. Help us, Lord. Help us to be so aware that we would never grumble against the love that you're pouring into our lives, the provision of Jesus. But help us to celebrate the circumstances you bring into our lives that allow us to be your light and your love in this world that you've entrusted to us. A thrill of hope. This weary world rejoices in you, Lord Jesus. God's people said, Amen. Amen. May I please invite you to stand and hear God's good word for you. 
May you go into a week so immersed in the love of God that it flows through you with great power. May you love each person you meet in a new and different way as you express the life of the Spirit in your life to them. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I release you to a week of work, witness, and worship. And stay healthy. Amen.